Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. Well, All Saints Day, um, as we mentioned, is those uh, who have gone on before us. Uh, we recognize this. Um, and this is one of those days, uh, John Wesley, that um, one of the founders of the Methodist tradition and faith religion um, that we are part of, the denomination, um, he and his brother Charles, and the founders of which the Methodist tradition, um, they, they were really fond of it, John Wesley especially, and he actually, he found this day to be um, a day he really looked forward to. Um, in some of his journal entries, uh, we have some of his quotes that he talks about um, in using uh, to talk about All Saints Day. He used it saying, it was a festival I truly love. Um, he found comfort in today. You know, I always find this day a comfortable day. Um, and lastly, a day that I peculiarly love. So John Wesley, and, and I think because of that, you know, he is looking towards those who have gone before us, who have kind of blazed a, tra uh, a path, a trail, making it a little bit easier before us. Uh, maybe there's a little bit of companionship that he found in this of, of those who were sharing in some of the struggles that we all go through, but maybe he especially has gone through. Um, and there are many things that I agree with on John Wesley, but I'm going to kind of push back on him a little bit and say that. I think it's a little bit more difficult of a, of a day, um, certainly as we remember those who have gone on before us. Um, I especially remember my father on this, this day. Um, my father lost his uh, battle with cancer for the third time um, about 10 years ago. Uh, he had it when I was uh, probably about 10 years old, um, and then he got it again when I was about 22, and, and then eventually he lost his final battle when I was about 26. Um, and it's a struggle for me in this day because I think, and I think a lot of us can agree, that loss is hard, right? Yeah, we lose things, and it's just difficult to do so. Um, uh, I don't even like playing board games with my family anymore uh, because uh, it usually ends in a big mess. I, I saw a photo the other day. Um, I should have saved it. Um, but, you know, it had a picture of Monopoly money laying everywhere over the family room. Uh, the pieces were everywhere, and the board was flipped over and said, the only proper way for a game of Monopoly to end, right? When somebody just eventually just, you know, Grandma, you've been sitting on boardwalk the whole time, <laughs> stealing all my money. So, um, so board games are usually not uh, played in my family tradition anymore. Um, but loss, loss is hard, uh, being a little bit more serious. Uh, when I did my time at CPE uh, as a chaplain um, up at the UNC hospital, um, every time I was visiting with people, almost every difficult moment, di difficult situation they were going through, everything could kind of be pinpointed to loss. Um, the obvious was a loss of a family member. And in, in meeting with families who were about to lose someone or who had just lost someone, that was a loss of a relationship. And they were struggling with that. The permanence of it, the finality of it, was difficult for them to deal with. Same way, a lot of people I dealt with, they were maybe dealing with the loss of a lifestyle. 
I met with people. I remember two specific gentlemen who were active. They were hikers, runners, swimmers, all of that, and got a diagnosis. And doctor said that that life is gone, essentially. And they were dealing with that loss. They were grieving that loss. Um, and a lot of these people might have even just been dealing with the loss of companionship. They were alone. This was the height of COVID. They had no one to come visit them. They couldn't have anybody to come visit them. And that loss of just being alone was something that they were struggling with. Because loss, as I mentioned, is difficult. But as I kind of thought through this, this sermon and you know, how can we communicate that All Saints Day with everything that's kind of been going on, um, God put it on my heart to speak about Lazarus. And that, la- that name is probably one a lot of you are familiar with, the story of Lazarus. Um, it's a pretty long story, so we're going to kind of walk through some select verses of it. And we're going to talk through how this story of Lazarus can help us in these times of loss, um, but also how we can look beyond loss as well. This is John 11. We're going to start with verse 1. Uh, and as I mentioned, we're going to kind of walk through it. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was the one who was ill. So the sister sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Continuing on, jumping down a couple verses later in verse 20, um, Martha meets to, runs out to meet Jesus as she knew he was coming. He said, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. While Mary stayed at home, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here. We've all played that game, right? When we lose something, the if only game. If only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now that God will, even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus corrected her and said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. What I find interesting in this moment is that Jesus offers hope. He acknowledges Martha's um, knowledge of a hope of resurrection, right? You know, in verse, uh, what is it? Um, Verse 23, I think it is, that Martha, or 24, Martha says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection. And this was a belief of the time. The Jewish people had this idea of a resurrection that would happen at the end of time. And so she kind of says, I know he will rise again. I know there will be a resurrection. But Jesus challenges, challenges her and says, no, 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 no. We're not talking about a future resurrection. I want to focus in right here, right now, saying that I am the resurrection. I can offer hope. I can offer resurrection in this current moment, in this current place that we are standing in right now, and that is through belief. And the writer of John does something pretty cool when writing this. In verse 18, one of the verses we skipped over, 
there's a verse where it says, now Bethany, and it gives a specific geographic location. It says, now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away. So he grounds this situation. He grounds this event, in fact, saying, we're two miles away. We know where this happened geographically. And then later in the story, we, ha- we hear that Jesus, four days later, is when he eventually gets to Lazarus's tomb. So we are now giving a time fact, a time situation where this situation is grounded in. Um, so we know, okay, geography, we know a time. And when Jesus says this, I'm the resurrection, he's focusing in on the immediate. And this word believe, when Jesus turns to Martha and he says this, do you believe? This word pistuo, is that, am I saying that right, Chris? I, I know, yeah, pistuo. He says, um, there's a, a few different translations of this word. I'm no Greek scholar, but the few different words that we can kind of bring out of this word is believe, trust, place confidence in, and more of like a legal term of entrust oneself. So Jesus is turning and he's saying, what are you going to do with this information? Knowing that I am the resurrection, are you going to believe in me? Are you going to put your hope in me? Are you going to place your confidence in me? And then lastly saying, are you going to entrust oneself? And I think about that in my own life where I have experienced loss. Again, mentioning my father. You know, I think about those moments moving on from the loss of my dad. Where was my trust? Where was my hope? Not only do I know, yes, I'm going to see him at the end of time when we are all resurrected, but knowing that I can take him with me and I can live for Jesus knowing what my father has gone through as a communion or as a saint who has gone before us. And I want to continue on because there's a lot more in this story that I think is really helpful for us. Verse 32 continues on, and it says this, When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, kind of playing that if-only game. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. This is one of those moments where we see that God is with us in the mess of our own lives. We see that Mary has been deeply troubled, the other people were deeply troubled, and Jesus enters into that mess with them. He sees that they were overcome by emotion, even so much so that he enters and he weeps himself. In the time when Jesus is speaking to these people, power was everything. Wanting to gain power, whether a social power, political power, financial power, power was everything. And this removal from the kind of the difficulties of daily life, that was the hope. The gods that were being worshipped of the time, they were removed. They did not share in these emotions. But we have Jesus, who's on the ground with us, getting dirty with us, in the mess with us, who is showing and sharing our emotions. And for us, a God who is absent is not one who does not care or share our emotions with us. Am I right? We have Jesus sharing these emotions. This is a clue to us to say that he's in it with us. He's sharing in this with us, the mess. He's going through it. There's a professor um, that I remember from divinity school who comes to mind when I think about this. When I started divinity school, you know, I'm coming in contact with some of the greatest minds Um, in biblical history, church history, Greek scholars, Hebrew scholars, all of this. And I thought, wow, these people, 
they're almost like, almost like gods in a way. They're so, so smart. You know, I looked up to them so, so much. But what was interesting to me is I found that they were interested in more than just a grade. I was more than just a number that they had on their roster or a grade they put down on their sheet. I had some of them who would reach out to me, and one specific one, uh, Dr. Ruth, who even reached out and he emailed me. Here's his email he wrote to me. He says, hello, I'm just writing to check to see how things are going with you, whether in class or beyond. I hope things are going well with you, Dr. Ruth. And I checked in, and I thought, oh, this is nice. You know, here's a professor who's probably just copying and pasting this. And I checked with other students, and this was not the same email they got. The emails were different, because he was writing to each and every student. And I even went back and counted how many people are in this class. And I counted, it was over 50 people in this class. And he's writing these personal emails to us. And as I mentioned, I was, in, uh, I was doing my chaplaincy. This was the same semester, and things were kind of rough for me. I was in the mess, if you will. I was going through a lot of difficult situations. Um, I was struggling, and so I hesitated to write back. I, I, I knew it probably would be out of my best interest to not write back because I was kind of frustrated with how things were going. And I didn't respond. And then he wrote me again. He wrote me another email. Hey, just checking in. How are things? I haven't heard from you. Just wanting to see how things are going on. And then I was honest with him, and I said, things are tough. I'm going through a lot. I'm doing this chaplaincy. It's taking up a lot more time than I expected. And he acknowledged that. And he said, I'm really sorry you're going through that. And he acknowledged how much his class was probably adding to my workload as well, just saying, I know you're going through a lot. He even said, I've been there. I've done this all as well. But know that I'm praying for you, and know that you have a lot of people who are with you through this mess. And just as we see that Jesus is in this mess, mess with us. These are places that Jesus has gone before, and Jesus walks beside us, alongside us, as we go through these messes in our lives. Last part of this uh, story that I want to focus in on, Jesus eventually makes his way to Bethany, finding himself at the tomb of Lazarus, and he begins to pray. This is verse 41. It says, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I've said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. I find this really neat because we see the Trinity in action here. We see this communion that Jesus has with the Father, this relationship in motion in these verses right here. And when he had said this, he cried a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And then this last verse, these last verses, I think that we can see that Jesus offers new life. This life of Lazarus has been resurrected. And in our own lives, we can see life being resurrected. Whether that's in a relationship, a marriage that's gone south. I can think of a very specific relationship I know of some family friends way back in the day, everybody thought there's no way that they're getting back together. There are issues, a lot of stuff. I won't go into the details. But over time, through God's grace, they eventually made it back together and are still married today. Children who have grown up, who have carried on their legacy because of the grace of God, this resurrection that happened. You might have seen this too in some of your own lives. Maybe this is resurrection from addiction, from painful situations, from mess, from sorrow. This hope that Jesus offers us is a new life. It is immediately, immediate, yes, in the future, but also right now.
And you'll notice there's a little bit of an asterisk up there. I think there's a little bit of a catch that this happens, that this brings to mind. In that last verse in 44, when Jesus says, Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. It's not Jesus who unbinds him, but Jesus calls on the companions of Lazarus to unbind him. The resurrection is started with Jesus. Jesus initiates it, but he calls on the companions to take off the cloth. He calls on the ones who go with us to take off the cloth. There's a professor, Michael Koppel. He's a professor at Wesley Seminary. He writes this. We come into fullness of who we are because of others who through care and through compassion prod and pull us into new life. We cannot do it ourselves. We need help. And I think this is important for us, the church. The congregations serve a vital function, providing a space for holding, calling, and restoring members back to life when they are in the grips of despair, loss, and pain. This process we go through of life, these situations where we grow in our faith, where there is resurrection, it's initiated by Jesus. God initiates this, but we, amongst one another, are the ones who are called upon to help. We are the ones who are called on to take the cloths that so easily trip us up, the sin that so easily trips us up. Because we're going through it, others are going through it, and we might be the only ones that these people get in touch with. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. Just as Jesus ascended, sent the Spirit to descend to empower us as the church to be there for one another. So the last question I leave you with, how can we honor those who have yet to and who have already gone to glory? those that we think about in our lives, how can we honor them? And how can we honor the ones who are still here, the ones sitting to your left, sitting to your right, sitting before you, sitting behind you? How can we honor them? I think the best way to do that is seeing this story as a call to action, seeing this story as a way in which we can be present to the realities and the struggles of those who are with us. If you see somebody hurting, reach out. Hey, what's going on? I see kind of things are a little bit tough for you. How can I be of help? Last is to hold on to hope. Even the struggles we go through, the difficulties that we go through, hold on to that hope, knowing that the resurrection, this new life, is available to us right now. Not in the future, but is available to us right now. And lastly, by taking off the bandages that trip each other up so that we aren't, some, you know, we aren't a stumbling block maybe for them, but also for the stumbling blocks that they may have. We can help out. We can assist. We can be the ones to help them on this journey of faith. Amen? Amen. I know we talked about it. You know, Church is not a museum. It's a movement. And as Chris has said a few times, we've got a lot of work to do. I think we've got a lot of friends and family around us who love us and care for us. We've got a lot of people who need our help, need the hope in our lives just as much as the next person. Let's pray. God, we thank you for those who have gone before us. Those we acknowledge today, those in years past who we lift up, who cared for us, who we care, who we weep over. But God, just as this story tells us, you are resurrection. Resurrection in our life, this hope is available to us right now by believing 
by trusting God, as we walk out of these doors, as we encounter those who may be being tripped up by the sin in their lives, by the difficulties in their lives, that you would give us the courage to speak out, to sit with them, to love on them when they need it the most. We thank you for that hope that you offer us so freely. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus, who died for us so that we can have that. Pray all these things through your precious Son, Jesus' holy name. Amen.